Well, happy Memorial Day. Mississippi State finding out its fate today in the NCAA Regional. We'd like to pass along our well wishes to all the great folks in the military right now, the men and women fighting to defend our country on this Memorial Day. And, Charlie, well, Mississippi State kind of finds its fate. Bulldogs top eight national seed, number seven national seed. And so the table kind of set right now as you find out your regional play today. First and foremost, what did you think? I'm outraged. <laughs> I think we've got one of the toughest regionals, and the fact that John Cohen couldn't get us an easier draw, I, I just don't know what to say about the guy. Well, here's the thing, Charlie. <laughs> he, he has to he has to walk out of the room. That's the thing, Man. is you can't trust the people in the room when you walk out of the room. Man, can you believe the outrage going on in some places, people? And it goes back, and we talked about this. I, I've got two kind of groups I want to talk about real quick before we dive into this regional bar. The first group of people I want to talk about are the people who think that John Cohen sat in that committee room and engineered how this entire tournament was going to play out. I will just say this. If John Cohen is capable of doing that, (laughs) if he pulled it off, lifetime contract, lifetime deal, whatever he wants, let's sign him up. So that's, that's just a comment that is made without an understanding of how the system actually works. He's not in the room. He can't maneuver it for Mississippi State. So, but if he could, I want to keep him forever. The second group of people I want to talk about right now, Bart, are all the national writers who had so many of our fans just in such angst about who was going to get a national seat or not. Now, look, I think we had reason to be concerned. I didn't. But I think what we know is this. There is no reason to give these guys any amount of authority, any amount of respect that they know what they're talking about when it comes to what these committees are going to do. If they tell me a guy's throwing well, I'm listening. If they tell me this team looks pretty good this year, I'm probably listening. But if they tell me here's what is going to happen coming out of a college baseball seeding process, I'll I'll take a guy at the local bar just as much as I will those guys. Well, that's that's the thing, Charlie, is we know that no one knows what's going on in that room, and you say it every year. And I want you to take your brackets and kind of look and see, you know, what's been projected over the past couple of weeks. And, yeah, I know you're going to sit there and say, hey, we got 63 out of 64 teams right. And I think a couple of those you know, people had Pitt in and Pitt didn't make it, and, you know, we're going to beat our chest and see how right we are. No, that's not the point. And this is not a knock. Like you said, Charlie, I I like those guys a lot. I take what they say with a grain of salt. I understand they get information. They pass along information. The same way with coaching searches. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. I'm going to try to drive up subscriptions. Just think, if, if I rile up the Mississippi State fan base, what's the first thing that I'm going to do if I'm a riled up guy? And I don't understand that these guys don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to refresh and go look at it the next day. And if you understand the advertising world about clicks, subscriptions, and things of that nature, and I'm not saying those guys are clickbait. I mean, but when you start doing brackets, when you start doing brackets, nobody knows. They are doing it for fodder. That's it. They know no more than anybody else. And so, and it's not the science that basketball is. It's not. Basketball is way more established of a science. But the difference is this. If you want to follow college basketball, 
first of all, there's fewer games. Second, they're almost all televised. But right now, if you take a guy off the street and say, tell me about the fighting camels of Campbell, how many people can speak very, very intelligently about those guys? Not many, but there are going to be people in that room who can, and they're going to look at numbers. It's just different. It's just different. And and too, Charlie, going along those lines, so many times when people see who gets put where – they think about the name that's on the front of the jersey. They think about the Miamis of old and the Wichita States and the LSUs of old. They don't look at this year's team because a lot of people don't look into the intricate parts of each individual team. When I saw VCU pop up on the monitor for Mississippi State today, they'll be the number two seed here in Starkville. I said, uh-oh. Those guys have won 21 straight games. I don't care what league you play in. If you play in Division One athletics and you've won 21 straight games, you're doing something right. And I don't want to play a hot team at the end of the year. Campbell, we're talking about Campbell, the Camels. These guys are an at-large bid team. They didn't win their conference tournament championship. These guys are at-large. They made their way here. You look at Samford. Samford hit 429 in their conference tournament, eight home runs in three games. Let me tell you this. When you look at VCU, Campbell, Samford, are there names on the front of the jerseys that sit there and you make you go, wow, those are big-time baseball programs? No. But let me tell you this. When you start looking at numbers, those three teams right there are solid, solid, well, you- solid. You think anybody in Baton Rouge got worried when they saw Stony Brook pop up a few years ago? Nope. Who knew they had a baseball team? The bottom line is, and we said this coming into this season, this year, more than ever, teams who were what we call in basketball the mid-majors are going to be dangerous because they're not going to lose guys in that five-round draft. They aren't going to have the Toskews and the Westbergs who are leaving. They're going to be veteran teams. They're going to have more guys back. And, you know, you can make a compelling argument, by the way, that one of the best players on the field all weekend is going to be a guy from BCU that most college fans have never heard of, a guy who is the rookie of the year and the player of the year in the A-10. So is it somebody that if you go to Baton Rouge and you say, tell me about Tyler Locklear, are they going to know anything about him? No. If you ask that question, Tuscaloosa or Oxford, where everybody's kind of hand-wringing over how this seeding is turning out, no. But the guy can play baseball. And, and look, we got a tough regional. In fact, I put this on Twitter, and I've got some people who take exception to this. But I went through, Bart, and I took Warren Nolan. Can, can we just settle on that, by the way, is yes. the RPI choice for us? It is. It is because it's just easy. He's figured it out. He's been doing it forever, and he just he knows what he's doing, and it's easy to follow. But go ahead. I went through, and I took the average RPI of the second through four seeds, okay, numbers two through four, the idea being that I want to see what average RPI does the number one seed have to play for that week. Mississippi State, if you believe in that metric, and you can believe it or not, it's just math, is second. Out of all the regionals, Mississippi State's three opponents average to have the second highest RPI. We'll talk about this a little later, I guess, but Tennessee, the hardest. But there are a whole lot of ways you can go through this thing. And Mississippi State, if we were grading on the name test, 
It's really easy. If we're grading on RPI, which is kind of an objective measure of looking at these things, it's a really difficult regional. And that's what bothers me a little bit about some of these national guys talking about this being a, a lean regional compared to others. They ought to know better. They're the ones who ought to know better than to look at a name and say, well, Miami's going here. Arizona State's going here. Michigan's going here. Michigan's got an RPI in the high 80s. Get excited about names. And that's what's concerning is, you know, one of the guys that everybody that everybody reads so much of, one of his first tweets is, is man, look at what they got in Starville. Man, VCU hasn't lost a game since April the 11th, Charlie. April the 11th, the last time they lost a ball game. And I don't care if you're playing Sims's rec league team or coach pitch team from a few years ago. You win 21 in a row, you've done something. But I go back to the point of what's the purpose of a lot of things that they do. And, hey, let me tell you this. It's easy to do. You know, Charlie and I, three weeks ago, we came in here on Sunday coffee, and we came in kind of firing brimstone talking about Vanderbilt. We were talking about, you know, how they act and all that good stuff, and that's fine. It was kind of – and we're not that, those guys. We're not. But you look at the numbers that come back from that show, and they're exponentially higher because it's a hot-button topic. What we decide to do with what we do with our show, and, and people can do different things, is we try to not do that. We try to educate. We try to go in a little bit more in depth. It would have been easy for us to go the next week and whoever we play the next week start making fun of their fan base or whatnot, and all of a sudden we get tons and tons and tons of new listeners and people tweeting at us and going crazy. That's how a lot of people in the media world are now. We're not like that. All attention is good. That's all, the idea. All attention is good. It doesn't matter if it's bad. That's not who we are. So that's not the way that we go. If you look at what some of the national guys say, that's what's disappointing is they should know. If they know baseball like they tell you they know baseball, if they know baseball, then they would not make those statements. No, they wouldn't. And you know what? It's a real shame because these are teams who earn their way here and and, you know, the bottom line is this. I want to go back to something we talked about the other day. We've kind of fallen into this trap a little bit as Mississippi State fans of when we get to Omaha, you know, there's no if anymore. It's a win. And I think we kind of lose sight sometimes about how hard it is to get there. And the bottom line is if we don't play better this week than we played at Hoover, we won't be advancing to a super regional, much less heading to Omaha. There's a tough road to get there. A tough road to hoe, and I don't care what the names are on the jerseys. These are some good baseball teams coming in here. So maybe I'll calm down, back off those guys a little <laughs> bit. But I'll just say this. This is this is a good regional, and I think it needs to be respected as such. And the one thing, Bart, when we were kids, of course, we used to have the six-team regionals. And how great were those? Because you just hunkered in for a week of baseball. Thursday to Sunday. good stuff. Oh. And so we won't have that. But we're going to have some good baseball teams coming in here. And you know what? BCU coming in here as the two seed, they deserve the respect of a two seed. That's a good baseball team. Campbell, even though we don't know them, even we don't have a history with them, when you dig into the numbers, it's a good baseball team. And look, Samford is one of those teams. This is the mistake that people make, I think, looking at baseball sometimes. And I'm guilty of this. We tend to look at a baseball team in the overall sense and say they're good or not good. 
And we forget how a baseball team can change based on one thing and one thing only, the guy walking out to the mound. And you go back, look, Sanford split with Auburn this year. Now, they got swept by Florida, played them close twice. They got swept by A&M. Don't let me oversell it. It's a game Mississippi State should win. But you're probably going to face a lefty who throws in the low 90s with a good slider. And look, we have been susceptible to having our rough days against those kind of guys. And so you just never know when a team puts its ace on the mound what you're running into. Samuel Strickland, you probably think he's going to be the starter. He's been their number one guy, preseason first team, All-Southern Conference. Birmingham guy, he's a junior. He was not honored at all in their final first or second team as being all-conference because he, he had a couple bad outings. You look at his last outing out, it was against Mercer in the conference tournament. He went five innings, gave up four runs, six hits, four strikeouts, two walks. He had a good outing against VMI. He looks to be a guy that goes five, six innings just about every time out. But he got beat down early. He had a bad outing his second one of the season against Florida because they went to Florida that second weekend. He didn't have a great outing. It was okay against Texas A&M. And then he got into conference play, and he got better. But like you said, Charlie, he's a left-handed pitcher. And with our lineup – with Florida throwing that starting left-hander the other day, we kind of trying to figure out what we want to do in left field. And do you put Kellum Clark in the lineup against a lefty? Here's the thing that I worry about: is I know Casey Dunn, who's the head coach at Sanford. Casey's Good been coach. Casey's been Good there for coach. 17 years now, and Casey was one of the first guys when you start thinking about launch angle. Okay, I'm going to put the ball in the air. I'm going to play for the big home run because that's the player he was. He was a great player at Auburn. They're a Birmingham family. Of course, Brooks Dunn, a family member over there. Brooks is still over there, one of the the pitchers in Mississippi State's past. But the thing about Sanford this time of year, and, hey, I saw it firsthand. We talked about it with Chris Stratton a couple of weeks ago. 2012, I had oh, a guy man, named Brandon got, Miller who hit a I home run. Oh, my goodness. He had a home run against Stratton, man. He's still traveling down in, in Tallahassee. So yeah, this is I think a, that was an 0-2 pitch, too, by the way. It you know, was. They hit four home runs in that game. But they hit eight home runs in the last three games. And that's what you worry about is a team like that in our ballpark, which is not the same ballpark as it was 15 years ago. It's a hitter's ballpark right now this time of year. And let me tell you something. You get to the ballpark on Friday and that wind's blowing out, Sanford's not the team you want to play. All right, so let me ask you, you bring up an interesting point. I've argued that Christian McLeod's best outings this season have been in games where the wind is blowing in. South Carolina was blowing in. LSU was blowing in hard. He gives up some fly balls. He gets a lot more fly ball outs than ground ball outs. So is McLeod. We talked so much about rotation. Now, Houston Harding beat this team earlier this year, or at least a combination of Harding and Brandon Smith. Is McLeod the guy you want on the mound against them? I, mean, I feel like you've got to start your typical opening game starter, but if that wind is blowing out, that could be dangerous for us, don't you think? Well, and I, and I hear a lot of people kind of debating right now and have debated over the last couple of weeks of what you do in a regional. Do you throw McLeod and then Bednar? And then some people have taken the thought process of, hey, you throw your third-string guy, whether it be a Houston Harding or a Brandon Smith, you throw him out there the first game. And then when the brackets come out, you look and say, 
man, Sanford's good. There's no way he can throw anybody other than Christian McLeod. But then you start going inside the game and understanding the game and understanding that Christian McLeod is a fly ball guy and Sanford's a fly ball home run hitting team. Then all of a sudden you start flipping back and saying, hey, maybe Houston Harding is the guy. To say all that to say this, this is not an easy decision for Chris Lamonis and Scott Foxall to make. Yeah, I think it would be McLeod. I'd be surprised if it's not. But had we gone into the SEC tournament and Brandon Smith, who's a guy that likes to work down and with sync, had he come out and really pitched well in that ball game against Florida, might you be tempted? Might you be tempted because oh, yeah. he had success against them earlier in the year? I just You kind of almost feel like with this ball club, it's going to be a keep it down kind of day. That being said, you know, as a coach, what are you always worried about? Imagine losing two games going home and you haven't put Will Bednar on the mound, for example. You know, say the idea is we're going to throw Harding game one, we'll throw McLeod game two, and then you lose those two games. Well, do you do the, the other way? Do you do the big time flip? Do you start Houston Harding game one, come back with Bednar, which is probably the most important game, the winner's bracket game in game two, and then hold McLeod to game three? I mean, there are so many options on the table right now. But if we were if we were going to the casino tonight and filling out a, a betting form, I bet McLeod's going to be on that list, right? Yeah. McLeod's going to be the guy game one, you'd have to think. And then you'd have to think Bednar in game two. And then the idea is whoever you're playing on that third day, if you've won your two games, even though you can say, boy, we've had some trouble at that three spot, we've had some trouble at that four spot, Basically, what you're saying is a team's going to have to take their fourth and fifth starter and beat you twice. And if that happens, you know what? Pack the gear up anyway because we weren't going to advance very far. No. And hey, let's look at the let's look at Campbell and let's look at VCU right now. Virginia Commonwealth coming in from Richmond. This is a team that, like you said, has has won 21 straight games. And now, have they played just an unbelievable schedule? No, they haven't. But still, they won a bunch of games. They played some good teams this year. And so they're a legitimate number two seed. Everybody started, oh, they absolutely are. Everybody's starting to look and say, hey, you got a possible showdown with Notre Dame next week in a Super Regional. But I tell you what, Charlie, we talked. To, you talked about it a moment ago, about it's not a birthright to get to Omaha. This is the time of year when you've got to kind of dig in and play good baseball. you got to play solid baseball and consistent baseball. This is going to be a tough regional to get out of, and getting past Notre Dame will not be an easy trip if you get to that point. Yeah, and you know, VCU, you talked about the 21 straight wins. So they won their league. They won their conference tournament. This is a team, this is the 12th time they've been in the regionals. So this isn't a team who just jumped up and had a good year. Sean Stippler is the coach there, ninth year. He is. He was an assistant coach before he became the head coach. He's been around. This is a team that beat Virginia twice this year. Beat them 5-3, beat them 7-5. They are a team who, you go back and you look, They, I think they have maybe one starter who's thrown 70 innings this year. You, you go past that, and basically everybody's thrown in the 50s. They're a bullpen-heavy team. They're going to ask their starters to give you about four or five innings, and then they're going to turn it over to the bullpen. And so when you start, you say, all right, so what does that mean? Well, there is a difficulty in teams who are bullpen heavy because they can turn you around. They can go left, right on you. And so when you start trying to fill out your lineup, you know, you and I talked about it all the time. 
hey, they're starting a left-hander. Are we going to hit Cumbus? Are we going to go ahead and put Clark in there against a lefty? Well, now what do you do with a team you know is going <laughs> to turn it around on the mound a couple of times? This is a well-coached team. It's a good team. So I think there is a very good two-seed. And like I said, Tyler Locklear, what I put on Twitter earlier this year, when I was 14 and 15, I kept a baseball. And when other teams would come in to Mississippi State to play, if there was somebody on that opposing team who I thought was going to be a big-time player, I got them to sign that baseball. And I think something like out of 12 signatures, I got 11 major leaguers on it. I had Ben McDonald and Frank Thomas and Greg Olson and all these guys. 14-year-old Charlie Winfield would be tempted to go have Tyler Locklear sign that ball. This guy has mashed. He's, He's fielding it well. He's got like 16 home runs. He's got another dozen doubles or so. This is a big-time player, and this is a really, really good baseball team. Here's what stands out to me. You talked a moment ago about RPIs, and when you start looking through the RPIs of these other three teams, this is a tournament where nobody's going to throw their number two guy on day one. This is not a tournament where somebody's going to throw their number three guy on day one. This is a tournament where everybody – to win game one for themselves. When VCU takes the field against Campbell, they're going to go and shoot some big bullets. We go out against Sanford, we're probably going to have to shoot some bullets. This is not anything, and this is not a tournament where people can hold things back for days two and three. I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those where you got to put your best guys out there, ultimately. I know we talked about using some other guys. That's just more for fun than reality. But you're going to have to throw McLeod out there. But I think you kind of hit upon one of the big issues that we've had. Think about the Fridays this year where you've had to spend a lot of bullets on Friday. Think about the Missouri series, for example, where you had to use Preston Smith out of the bullpen. You had to use Landon Sims out of the bullpen. You can't afford to get three innings out of a starter this weekend. You're going to have to have those guys bounce back have some big outings, I think, and save the back end of your bullpen. Because in this weekend, it's not like the old days where Eric DeVos could come out there and throw two complete games in a regional. It's not long enough. You don't have that much time anymore. And so these guys, they're going to have to deliver. The hope is that you can save those, kind of some of those big guns in the bullpen until it really matters. All right, let's look at the regional that's opposite and paired with us. Notre Dame, the number one seed in the South Bend Regional. They're the number 10 national seed. We're the seven. They're the 10. They've got number two, UConn, number three, Michigan. They play number four, Central Michigan. We saw Central Michigan come here a couple of years ago. That was a team that really played hard. So that will be a very tough team for Notre Dame to start with on Friday. So Notre Dame, Central Michigan, then Michigan and UConn in that regional. Central Michigan's fun, aren't they? they, They're a lot of fun. They play hard. Difference in them, you know, we were talking about Tulane this year. And you go back and you say, well, Central Michigan makes a lot of noise in the dugout. What's the difference in them and a Tulane? Central Michigan was positive. You know, they were talking to their own guys. (laughs) They were being goofy. It wasn't like the constant running your mouth that you saw coming out of the Tulane dugout. And then Michigan's kind of an odd it's really tough to gauge the Big Ten, one of those leagues that play conference only this year. I don't know what Michigan is. I know their RPI is not good. No, it's not. They're 27-17 and 17 overall. They play conference only. What do they play, four games a weekend? Has there been a conference that has almost been an embarrassment 
I hate to say that, but they have been in every facet of sports this year. The Big Ten has gotten it wrong all year long. All year long. Yeah. Man, we love to make fun of the SEC office now and then. But, man, thank goodness we can't make – oh, thank goodness we're not in the Big Ten. Hey, you know what just occurred to me? Tulane's not in a regional. They're not. They they play poorly down the stretch. They had the table set for them three weeks ago and really just pit two. They played themselves out. Tulane lost five out of six coming into the clubhouse, got swept in a four-game series against Cincinnati. Yeah, I'll do it. But that's a team, boy, when they were here, didn't you think that was going to be a regional team? I really did. I really did. And, yeah, just here at the end of the year, just spit the bit, man. National seed-wise, no surprise, Arkansas number one. Texas is number two. Tennessee. Hey, we caught some grief, by the way, for saying back after that Arkansas series, you and I said that's the best team in the country and that what you were seeing is the gap between where we were and where we wanted to be because Arkansas was the best. And I had some friends kind of give me a few little tweaks about that here and there. We you know, Arkansas would have a bad day. I get the message. Oh, so the best team in the country struggling in Ruston tonight and things like that. Number one, the team in Ruston's pretty good. We'll talk about them. But Arkansas right now has done everything they can do, I think, to demonstrate to me that they are the best team today. It may be different, but they're the best team right now in college baseball. The beauty of it is if Mississippi State couldn't see them again because they're the number one seed, we're the seven. We couldn't see them again until we're playing for all the marbles. The teams you could see if you got to Omaha, and that's like eight steps from now. Texas two, Tennessee is three, and then your sixth seed is TCU. Arizona's number five. They're 40 and 15. TCU number six. Texas Tech got that final top eight spot. Of course, State beat Texas Tech head-to-head out in the in Arlington to start the season. Then Stanford was nine, Notre Dame ten, Old Dominion, who won the Conference USA Tournament Championship, they're the only team playing away from home in the regional. South Carolina got the regional. Old Dominion got the number one seed in that the Columbia-South Carolina regional. Ole Miss at 12. We, we start talking about how things stack up. I would be very surprised to see Doug Nikhazy in the first game against Southeastern Missouri State. You talk about kind of setting the table, allowing your big-time guy to throw against the, the winner of – Florida State, Southern Miss. Florida State, that, that goes back to their, their name on the front of the jersey. Southern Miss is a good ball club. Southern Miss is a freshman-laden ball club, a young team. Florida State is just a name. And Scott Berry's a really good baseball coach really at Southern Miss. I think he's one of the kind of undertold stories, I guess, is the job he's done down at Southern Miss because he doesn't just have good teams. He's got a good program, and they're they're around. They're relevant every year. I think he has done just a great job down there. 13 is East Carolina, 14 Oregon, 15 Florida, who's playing well right now. That Florida-Texas matchup possible in a super regional, that should be a lot of fun out in Austin. And then Louisiana Tech, number 16, they got that final host spot. Lane Burroughs, they won against Southern Miss back-to-back games to get into the Conference USA Tournament Championship. What a job Lane's done down there. 40 wins this year, 40 and 18. 
And Charlie, he'll, he'd probably get upset. He, I know he's going to listen to the show today. He was probably going to get upset with me saying this because I know Lane is excited and he's happy about what's going on at Louisiana Tech. He's done a great job down there, and he loves being there. He's kind of fit into that mold down there. But let me tell you this, man. If I'm LSU and I'm Texas A&M and I'm not being his agent right here, there's a guy who recruits Texas extremely well, Louisiana extremely well, and the state of Mississippi extremely well. He's not the sexy hire of a Jim Schlossnagel and some of these other guys, but that's a guy that can win and who has been a part of some big-time programs. He recruited a lot of the guys that got it turned around under John Cohen here. Lane Burroughs is a guy that should be a big-time head coach in the next couple years. You know what I like about Lane Burroughs? He kind of mixes things you always want to say about Lane is that's a good guy. A lot of times when you say somebody's a good guy, it almost implies they don't have an edge to them. Let's be clear, Lane Burroughs has an edge. Big time. And he's a good guy. I mean, he is. <laughs> I, I think he is a big time baseball coach. He's just a great dude. Look, I don't know whether it will be that he uh, stays in Ruston and becomes uh, one of those guys that ends up having a stadium named after him there. But he's a big time baseball coach, and he's he's done a really good job down there. As you were going through those list of teams, Bart, we said in that opening weekend when we went out to Arlington, that this was as good as college baseball gets. Look at that. You have all six of those teams are top 16 national seeds. The lowest is a 12. That was an even better weekend of baseball than perhaps we even realized at the time. Well, it really was. Starts on Friday. Charlie, we play the 2 o'clock game, and then the Mm. late game will be the 2-3. And I know there's some questions about why you do that. And, you know, LSU – was really the Skip Bertman was really one of the first teams to ever do that, and there are there's some reasoning behind that of wanting to play the early game. And I know a lot of fans are sitting there going, "Why in the world would you you put us out playing the two o'clock game?" But there are a lot of advantages of playing that early game. All right, so let's talk that through because I, I want you to sell me on this. Number one, I was it's hoping hot this time of year. I was hoping you're right. going to have to sell me on this. Go ahead. Okay. It's hot this time of year. If you play at night, you keep your team out of the heat a little while. What's the worst thing that happens by playing at night? Maybe it rains. Maybe you go late. Maybe you play extra innings and you're there till one. All right? You come back the next day. As long as you win, you're coming back the next night. Right? So I I get – and look, here's the bottom line. If Chris Lamonis told me he wants his team to play at 9 in the morning, I'd say do that. Well, save for the fact that I saw us play at 9 in the morning twice a week ago, and I now have some evidence that that doesn't work. Yeah, I don't but, want that. But if he says, look, I want to play, that's fine with me because ultimately they're the guys who know. But I'm curious. You tell me the advantages that you perceive. Beyond this idea that we get extra rest, which I would argue you're going to need more rest because you're going to be in the heat all day. Tell me why we want to play that game at two. Well, like you just said, either whether it be the rain, if you lose, if you lose that night game, that first game, and let me tell you this, you're going to have to fight through a lot more than just just the having to shake the cobwebs if you lose that first game. Uh, I'm old school. I would love to see it played at night from a fan standpoint. Would love to see it played at night, but at the end of the day, the head baseball coach gets what the head baseball coach wants and. That's that's the way it is. And if he thinks that gives his team an advantage, 
that I'm behind it. I'm perfectly behind it, and I am not upset, not one-tenth of an iota, if that's what he wants to do, personally. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make a huge difference to me. Ultimately, I'm good with what the boss man says. But I do like night games. <laughs> I do, too. I do too. And hey, two years ago was a lot of fun. And you know, this ballpark is going to be a lot of fun this weekend. That's what I'm looking forward to is, is getting back to tournament ball and man, it's going to be great. You know, VCU Campbell and then, uh, Samford two, three and four seeds here in start. Well, Charlie, uh, closing thoughts, man, we, uh, you kind of look at everything overall. I'm not worked up about really anything. I don't see anything to be worked up about overall from the national standpoint. I mean, LSU, some folks are upset they got shipped out west. I thought it would have been a disservice to Louisiana Tech had they put LSU in that regional just because, you know, their fan base would have shown up. If you play as poorly as LSU did this year, you kind of get what you deserve. In 1996, we got shipped out west to Stanford. You kind of deserve, if you're a three seed, to not really be able to control where you go. But I look at this, Tennessee has a chance to gripe a little bit. Duke is playing really good baseball right now. Tennessee's the number three overall national seed. Knoxville got a really tough regional. Yeah, they absolutely did. And just about any way, I was crunching all the numbers on RPI. It doesn't matter how you want to look at it. Their regional is very, very tough. And if anybody wanted to complain, it would be them. Although, you know, Tennessee hadn't been around that long on the baseball stage. And so maybe they ought to just kind of be glad to be here and uh, and move on. But if anybody has a gripe, I think it, it ought to be them with the way things were set up. Um, overall thoughts are these. I think for me, I just am concerned. And I guess it doesn't matter at one level what the fan base thinks. Ultimately, what matters is what the team thinks. I will just say this. If our team comes into the regional, with the idea that some of the national writers have shared, that some people on Twitter have shared, that this is an easy path to Omaha, that this is an easy regional, we won't be around very long because Casey Dunn is a good coach. He's been there. This is a team that has been in the NCAA tournament as recently as 2018. So they know what they're doing. VCU has been in the tournament 12 times. They've been in Supers before. They know what they're doing, and they have a really good team. They've won 21 in a row. And, look, Campbell's been a good team. I just think it's real important that people watching this series appreciate the level of play inside the jerseys, not the name on the front, because the name on the front is going to be very deceiving this weekend. Well, it sure will be. State, 2 o'clock on Friday. Later in the week on Thursday, we'll have our regular out-of-left field show. Last week, of course, we had Ron Polk, and we also talked with James Spann, the weatherman from over in Alabama. And so Charlie and I are working on some some cool things as we get ready for the NCAA tournament here in Starkville. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We'll have the Thursday show. We'll have the the post-game wraps after all the games this weekend. State playing at home, of course, in the Starkville Regional. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Memorial Day. And appreciate you guys listening as we break down the Starkville Regional.